Welcome to LilyPod episode 45, The Serenity Prayer. Jeff and Kathy Teichert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Today we're talking about the serenity prayer and as it applies specifically to mid-single life. Right. Now, the actual author of the serenity prayer could be lost to history. Uh, It's been attributed to everyone from St. Francis of Assisi to St. Augustine uh, and lots of people in between. It looks now like it may have been written by uh, Arnold Neubauer, who was an American theologian. Uh, But there are several versions of it. The one we're going to use is the one used in the 12-step recovery program by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not written by the church, but it's adopted as part of this program, and that's the one we're going to rely on today. I'll go ahead and read through it, and then we'll discuss it in depth. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. By following this spiritual pathway, we will find hope, we will feel peace, and we will experience joy again. Right. You know, Kathy, the first experience I ever had interacting with any part of this uh, prayer is my grandfather on my mother's side, who was not particularly religious, Uh, He really admired the first stanza of this poem, uh, and it was the only portion of it I ever knew about for a long time. But I remember him repeating it over and over to me in in a conversation, and uh, but he modified it a little bit. He he said, "I don't have to accept things I don't like," but I he, he said. I think it should say, God grant me the serenity to live with the things I cannot change. He didn't want to accept it. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want to do acceptance. And, you know, I think, though, in a a funny way, and maybe a not so funny way, he never really did find serenity in his life. Uh, He lived till he was in his 80s and um, was always a little bit uh, down on the world. And I think that would be a, a... A good indication that accepting is what brings us serenity, right? Right. And I think also, um, well, yeah, God grant me the serenity to accept. And I think we could also say, God grant me the acceptance so that I may have serenity. Uh, because I think I think the two are are uh are entwined that that when we accept things we cannot change, our serenity grows. I agree. So it's 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 both ways. It's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And God grant me to accept the things I cannot change. 
so that I can have serenity. Right. Um, and, and, and gaining peace after something challenging, whatever it is, whether it be addiction or a loss of a spouse or death of a loved one, it, uh, it can really put us into a position where our serenity is challenged and um, maybe even goes away for a little bit of time. And I think the goal is always to gain it back as quickly as possible, which we do through radical acceptance, radical acceptance of those things we cannot change. Right. Now, there may be things that we cannot change literally that we still want to work on. Like, uh, maybe I want to get involved in a political campaign because there's an issue that I agree with. I can't single-handedly change it, but I can be a voice. And what I can do, exercising the courage to change the things I can, is change the minds of however many people will listen to me. And that's kind of what we do as missionaries. We can't convert the whole world, but we can influence a few people profoundly. And so I think you know, we can all, we can be part of causes that are bigger than we are without, you know, kicking against the things we really don't have power to change. Or filling the overwhelming responsibility to do something we, we can't on our own. Right. And I think for Kathy and I writing uh, Intentional Courtship, we knew when we began it, we're not going to reach every mid-single in the church. Although Jeff does have this desire for every single mid-single in the church to uh, to pick up a copy and read the book because of how wonderfully life-changing it can be. Right. Yeah, I mean... And we'd sell millions of copies that way, which would be a bonus. <laughs> but we really do want to, to inspire positive change right. um, and, ins and inspire a positive direction for people who've really lost a lot. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And we we do this partly by accepting the things we can't change. Not everybody's going to like our book, and we get that. Um, but we can, it's kind of like uh, President Ezra Taft Benson used to say, I can't do everything, but I can do something. Mm, I love that. And uh, I think, yeah, I think we can all do certain things to help. And because we're not perhaps going to change the world uh, doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do what we can do. And, and that is having the courage to change the things we can. And uh, as we focus on the things we can do, our sphere of influence grows. I also think in terms of acceptance, the latter two verses of this prayer that we find here um, especially the last one, is, is harmonizing with that acceptance. It says, by following this spiritual pathway, we will find hope, we will find peace, and we will experience joy again. And I think, really, it is accepting his pathway. Sometimes we kick against the things we cannot change because we can convince ourselves it wasn't supposed to be this way. I didn't get married to get divorced. Or why did I only get to be with my spouse for five years before they died? Or, you know, the, any of the things we we ask ourselves like that. Uh, 
it can be very difficult when we feel like something's out of place, that something's wrong, that the cosmos is out of alignment. Um, if we understand this spiritual pathway, we accept the things that can no longer be changed and, and we work from there. Right. Because we do have to go from where we are. And I love the establishment or the reestablishment of peace and hope and joy that can come from accepting what is. And I think the other thing we sometimes forget is that God wouldn't do anything that isn't an act of love. And so the cosmos is not out of alignment. Um, things have not gone wrong. In fact, things are probably exactly as they're meant to be for our highest good. Right. And we might not see it at the time, but we can look forward to really great things to come because whenever we experience a loss, there's a compensatory blessing on the other side of that. Right. And there's character growth that can't even be really measured in terms of the loss. It's, uh, it's character building and personal growth is, is just, it's so valuable. I don't know if we're to the point where we could say, we're, I'm so grateful for this trial because it hurts so much, you know, <laughs> but, um, we can at least recognize the good that is coming from it. Right. I think that goes to the second stanza of this poem slash prayer, living one day at a time, trusting, and it's actually bolded, that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. And, you know, this is essentially the law of consecration. It is giving God anything and everything that he asks. And, and, he, and then knowing what will be taken care of. Right. He that. has promised not only to make all things right, but to give us everything he has. And so I think if we trust in him one day at a time, that ultimately he's going to make all things right. If we surrender to his will and stop fighting it, um, that life is going to improve. Well, definitely, because have you ever witnessed a child argue about doing the dishes and spend enormously more energy trying to get out of it than it would have been to just do it? Right. <laughs> so I think we do the same thing when we're resistant to what comes our way rather than accepting and moving through it and and relying on God through that process. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, and we've, we've used this example before, but as some of you know, Kathy and I each lost our youngest sibling of our same sex. So I lost my youngest brother. She lost her youngest sister um, to um, deaths at a pretty young age. My brother was 17. And if I fight that, I'm going to be saying things to myself and to God like he was too young to die. Uh, it wasn't his time. Uh, there was so much more he had to offer. I mean, we could have, we could go on and on with statements like that and, and despairing 
of what the world has lost by his death and how something has gone wrong, the cosmos is out of balance and so on. But what I want to impress upon you is it's okay to be sad. It's okay to say I'm sad because he was a big part of my life and I'm going to miss him and all of those things. But the judgments we hang on it are what makes it really painful. The he was too young to die. It shouldn't have been this way and so on. And as I saw my brother accept that he was going to die and I watched him decline and resign himself to his fate and basically say to the Lord, he wanted this bitter cup to pass. He had cancer. Uh, but nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. As I saw him, him do that, he became an example to me of surrendering to God's will, of, of perfect consecration, kind of in similitude of Christ himself. And while I don't think most of us are going to be called upon to die a really horrible death at a young age, we all have things in our lives that are hard. Some of you listening have lost a spouse to death or divorce. Some of you have gotten into your middle years without ever having an opportunity to marry or have children and worry about whether those things are still possible for you. And so one step in this process is to ask God to grant you the serenity to accept the things you can't change, particularly anything in the past, and to surrender to his will. Right. And then take courage to change the things that you can. Right. And that's what intentional courtship is all about. Right. It's the, what What can we change? Well, we can establish our, our peace. Right. Um, amid singles, pe- uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> amid singles guide to peace, progress, and pairing up. Those are the three sections of our book. And reestablishing peace in our life when it has been lost, when tragedy has struck, when something traumatic has happened. That is our number one job. Right. And sometimes, and it takes some time. It right. takes, it's a process. And so our first eight chapters are dedicated to that. Um, because in order to attract the kind of spouse that we want to have, we really need to have that healing. And then, and then we can move forward and progress in the dating world and to be consistent with our, you know, our own efforts to find our, our partner. And, right. you know, many people just give up on that idea. And, um, and we're offering the, the thought and the hope that we can have better lives than being resigned to be alone. If, you know, especially if our desire is to, is to be with someone, but we're afraid of what has happened in the past happening again it's not likely to we're likely to experience all new mistakes all new uh interactions with a a future someone um and so what we can do is prepare ourselves and then look for the very best possible match so we can have success right yeah and i think in in harmony with what kathy just said the fear that that she talked about is why changing the things we can change requires courage Hmm. because 
in in many areas of life, but particularly when we're talking about the dreams that many of us have to have a, a happy, loving marriage. Um, there's a, there's it feels like an incredible risk uh, to ask somebody for a date or to tell that attractive person you met at church or online, I'd, I'd like to get to know you better because there's always that risk that that person is going to say, well, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't feel the same way. And it feels very deflating, doesn't it? It's, it's not what we, what we want to hear, what we like to hear. It's not affirming. It was definitely and, my least favorite part of dating was either the fair, you know, that, that knowledge that I could be rejected and that's something I can't change is the agency of another person. Right. And also disappointing people because I also, you know, we also don't control whether there's a mutual attraction. Um, You know, sometimes it works in both directions and off, you know, sometimes it doesn't. And it's okay if it, even if it often doesn't, because it really only has to work once. That's right. And that can give us hope to continue being persistent until we win that prize. And continue being courageous as well, because Mm -hmm. you may have to, you know, I'm not, you know, when I started dating in my forties, I, I was worried about rejection and all of that, but I was a lot being older and more mature. I was more comfortable in my own skin. My own identity was established more than it had been in my twenties. That part I loved about dating when I was older. Right. Is, is being able to meet people who are already established in their habits and their beliefs and in their lives. So you know what you're getting. Right. You have a, a really a much better idea of who that person is is becoming uh, because they've already become a, good, a better part of it. And so, yeah, I agree with what Kathy just said. I think that that part of dating made it easier for me no one likes to be rejected. And I, you know, I didn't happen to me all that often, but once in a while, somebody would say no to a, to a request for a first or second date. And, you know, I tried to be as pleasant about that as I could and just wish them well and say, you know, I hope you find what you're looking for. And it's, it's, um, it's important to keep that in perspective. And, you know, I used to think that I needed plausible deniability in a way, like I needed to be able to, if I asked someone on a date, well, I needed to be able to say if she turned me down, actually, I just wanted to hang out as friends or something like that. And, you know, that's, for one thing, it's not honest. (laughs) And for another thing, it it isn't courageous. It doesn't, it doesn't admit to our God what we really want that person to to know. And so I think it takes courage to endure the possibility of rejection. And then as a relationship progresses, once we've gotten past that initial, I like you, yeah, I like you too, there is a progression toward uh, wanting to deepen the relationship to to get more serious 
that mm -hmm. requires courage too. Right, because that then you have to be vulnerable <clears throat> and sharing more of who you are with that person and that requires courage as well to be that um, transparent. And also knowing that you could, you could, um, you're risking your heart and they're risking theirs, which means that hard conversations might need to be had if it doesn't go all the way to the altar. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and then it takes a lot of courage to jump into a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that's a big commitment. And one that I think most people take pretty seriously and no one gets married to get divorced. Uh, why? Otherwise you just wouldn't get married. Right. Um, and so there's always a hope that it will work out tied up in that, that choice and, and yet a fear that maybe it won't. Right. You know, I remember, and this is, I think a really good illustration of what Kathy's talking about. There was a time, um, as, as some of you know, we dated for a, a good chunk of one year and then for an entire year, we didn't date, but we remained friends. And then at New Year's, I, I wrote her a letter and asked her to date me for marriage, sort of out of the blue. I mean, we hadn't, like I said, we hadn't dated in a year. And we had remained friends and friendly, right. so we were in touch. So yeah, it, wasn't it wasn't so out of the blue that it was like, Oh, remember me from a year ago? Yeah, no, it wasn't like that. We had been, you know, I'd been in her home a couple of times and we had been at other events together just as friends. Um, <clears throat> so we had established a good friendship foundation. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, Kathy came to, to hear my son's homecoming when he came home from his mission. That was nice. Um, things like that anyway, but I wrote her that letter asking her to date me for marriage. <clears throat> and at the time she was already dating a couple of other guys, but pretty soon after that letter, she started to move in my direction. She hadn't made up her mind for sure, but I remember her, uh, sending me a message saying, that she had some things to tell me that were sensitive and she hoped that I could accept what she had to say, but she never wanted to get into a marriage wondering if I could have accepted all of her if I had known it. And so she wanted to make sure she wasn't holding anything back from me. And she knew that I had similarly at another time earlier in our relationship told her something very sensitive, which I wasn't sure she could accept. And <clears throat> she said, I trust that you're a forgiving person, but I still want to, I don't want to enter into a possible marriage and unless I know that you can accept all of me. So we had a conversation that night and I, I won't share the details of it, but her being vulnerable in that way created the, the space and the opportunity for us to become closer. And, and uh, I think really that that's the only way. Um, and whenever someone hands you that opportunity, even if you decide you can't accept 
that about them and ultimately decide to end the the dating relationship or transition to friendship and just um, decide that that will never work towards marriage, uh, you always want to be really sensitive and tender with other people and the things they share with you. Um, It is a gift they're giving you and that vulnerability uh, should be met with respect. Oh, absolutely. Because it is a huge amount of trust uh, that they're placing in you when they tell you something very vulnerable and sensitive like that. And yet I do acknowledge what Kathy just said. Also, there may be situations where it isn't advisable to go forward because of something like that. For example, if what she had told me that night was, well, I'm, I'm same sex attracted. I'm not attracted to men. Okay. That would have changed my view of whether I wanted to marry her. I would still have loved her, but the love would have had to, to transition to more of a friendship kind of love because, you know, it that's w- important to you. It wouldn't have worked for me to marry someone, a woman who was attracted more to other women and not to me. Although we do know of a couple who they express that to each other and they both had that issue. And so it works for them. Yeah. They've been friends for a long time and yeah, they married each other because they both wanted to be active in the church and, and from everything we can tell, have a great marriage. And they, I, I think, you know, I presume they understand each other on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's, it's <clears throat> not that it can't happen. It just, it depends on your values and what is important to you. In, in right. any situation, you know, whatever the issue is, I we think there's always someone for everyone. Right. But um, it only has to be that one person that that accepts you for all of you. Right. And if, you know, if Kathy had, and that obviously wasn't what she confessed to me, but if she, if that had been her, her big confession, um like I said, I would still have loved her. I would still have cared about her. Uh, I just wouldn't have seen it as advisable to move forward into a marriage because of the values we both have. Now, I think the couple Kathy mentioned, uh, who I admire incidentally a a great deal, but I think for them, uh, maybe having that in common, the same challenge in common that way, um, it, you know, helps to aid understanding and mm-hmm. in their, you know, in their marriage. Definitely. I think it, it makes sense. They're on the, they're on the same level that way. Right. Um, so they understand and they get it. Right. And, uh, and so I, I think it's really great how we can seek personal revelation as we date and as we are, searching for the right companion for us that we can be led to a person that really suits us and all of our truth. You know, it's funny. I, I, um, to go back to our own story on that, which I did feel led to that and felt inspired in in a way before I wrote Kathy that letter, but there's a friend of ours who has been married to the first girl he kissed for a long time. And he was an advanced reader for our book. Mm -hmm. And actually episode 40 is our interview with him. Right. Um, He's never been divorced or anything, but he's walked through some of the challenges with me because he was a friend and supported me and 
in a lot of those things. And <laughs> he said, you know, he's reading, he, he's reading chapter 20 of our book, which is our love story. And he says, I'm 52 years old. I'm sitting here and I'm reading this story and I'm crying. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I laugh because it's sort of touching, but um, I, I think the reason that it affected him that way is he saw two people in this story that had gone through a lot of pain and had found happiness through vulnerability and letting each other into their hearts, their deepest secrets and all of those things. And that's a very human, uh, universal human feeling is, you know, we, we love those I mean, if you think about all the Hallmark movies that come out at Christmas, you know, they're about how these star-crossed lovers can't seem to get together because there's some insurmountable obstacle and, you know, somehow they break through that. And that's kind of what our story was like in a way. And how do you break through it? Well, it's by vulnerability. And that takes courage to change the things I can. Because what can I do? I can't make the other person love me. I can give them the opportunity. How do I give them the opportunity I share? I share myself, my deepest thoughts and feelings and all of that. And well, and then in order to attract the kind of person you would want <clears throat> to be married to, you become the kind of person that that person would want to be married to. Right. And that's a that's an ongoing process. Right. And just in case you wondered the kind of person I want to be married to is Kathy. And the kind of person I want to be married to is Jeff. Although it, it took a lot of imagination and faith because I didn't know who he was going to be exactly. I didn't know his name. I didn't know exactly what his personality characteristics would be or his history, but I knew what I wanted to create with a partner because it got very intentional about what I wanted to have my marriage be like. And right. I wanted to find someone who could create that with me. And you might ask when we say this, you know, were there any red flags? And sure, there were plenty of red flags for both of us. <laughs> and the thing is, most red flags are false flags. But we have enough trauma and fear built up in our bodies and minds that change requires courage. So the question is, how do you discern between uh, a false flag and a real red flag that might actually portend something dangerous or wrong? You put your thoughts on trial. You, you go into your mind and decide, well, and your heart and your, and your spirit through prayer, and you figure out if what you're thinking is accurate or right. if it's a story. Right. Um, and even though Jeff says there were plenty of red flags, and that's true, I can think of a few, there was also so much goodness goodness. Right. And, and there was so much character because we both developed ourselves personally 
as a result of our divorces. And we chose to become better people through those experiences and through that hardship. Um, and I know some people don't see divorce as a hardship, but I think most do. And I know we did. Um, it's not easy. Right. Uh, and so uh, for us, that character building and that growth turned us into better partners. And right. so there may have been red flags, especially with trauma around those things that we see as red flags. Um, but the, that goodness overpowers the, the red flags and we make it work. And even in a marriage, you know, you work on those things together. Right. And that is part of the wisdom to know the difference. Putting our thoughts on trial, as Kathy talked about, is part of the wisdom to know the difference between the things we can't change and must accept if we decide to marry this person and the things we can. And most of the things we can change are on our side of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And we have more influence than we realize with our thoughts, with our feelings, with our energy, with all those choices that we make day in and day out of how we're going to show up in the relationship. Right. And um, the more we can make policies and agreements about how we will do marriage, the better chance we have at making our marriage successful. Right. Because we believe intentional courtship leads to intentional marriage. And that's the theme of ours um, is intention. Yeah. Another uh, term for putting our thoughts on trial is thought work. And it, that connotates uh, something we talk about a lot, separating facts from stories. Stories aren't necessarily lies as much as they are interpretations of the facts. And many times the way we interpret or judge the facts can make us, uh, can, can deceive us in a way. We call those in psychology, we call them cognitive distortions. They, they may be looking at something that's real, but uh, blowing it out of proportion, making it much bigger and more serious than it is, or making it mean something that it doesn't mean. Mm -hmm. And, and we do that a lot when we've had trauma or, you know, from past relationships or whatever, we see ghosts everywhere. And so part of this, of being able to know the difference is, is being able to put those thoughts on trial to separate facts from stories and think, is there another interpretation of what I'm seeing that might be a little more supportive and less, um, you know, horribleizing. Right. And, and I think the key is to find those stories about the facts that are supportive, that are elevating, that are helpful to your life and that are in harmony with your greatest desires. Right. So I just want to encourage the listeners to go back and listen to our FCBO model, episode 11, right. um, because it's a it's a great way to dive a little deeper into um, what we call our FCBO model. So that the F and this 
SEBO, S-E-E-B-O, stand for facts and stories, separating those out, and then the energy and emotions that naturally flow from those stories that we that we tell ourselves. And right, then, that we choose to tell ourselves. Right, and, and realizing that that is a choice and that we can shift them in order to shift our energy and emotions, which then um, snowball into affecting our behaviors and our outcomes. Um, oftentimes when we want to change our outcome, let's say, I think that I'm overweight. Again, that's just a story, uh, about a number on a scale. Um, but it it's, if that's my story and I want to lose weight, I might think, oh, well, I should exercise more, or I should eat less, or I should go on a diet. Um, all these shoulds about a behavior that I want to change to, to get a different outcome. But we're not going back far enough by focusing on just behavior. We need to go back to the story about the fact so that we can elevate our energy and emotions. Because if I can tell myself I love my body, I love taking good care of it, I'm going to be much more inclined to naturally eat better and and do more move, healthy movement. And, um, and then all of a sudden I'm feeling better, lighter. I'm feeling better about my body. And so that energy and emotion that is then elevated, then naturally supports the behaviors and the outcome that I want. Right. And I mean, I could say in my mind, I want to lose 40 pounds by tomorrow. What are the chances of that? Pretty slim, right? No pun intended. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I think, however, the things Kathy just talked about eating uh, foods that are more supportive to my, to my health and less fattening and, you know, movement and exercise. Those are things that I can change, that she can change. Right. And those are behaviors that you can change by white knuckle, like willpower, mm -hmm. <laughs> white knuckle willpower, or you can change the thoughts that create those bad habits that you, you know, have created a, maybe a, a less desirable outcome. And um, you're going to then naturally be able to maintain the new habits because your stories are then supporting the energy and emotion that then create those outcomes and um, from the behaviors. Anyway, so it's, it's in, it's in a sequential order and we need to go back further usually right to the stories. Um, and that's the same way with your love life. If you've got a story about how things aren't going to work out because they didn't in a past relationship, that's not going to really support you in going in and finding an eternal companion that you will be blissfully happy with. So accept the thing you cannot change that that past relationship is over, whatever you may have done or they may have done. That's where we need to accept what can we change about it. Right. And then have the courage to go and change the things we can. Which is things about ourselves. Yeah. So thought starting with our thoughts and then... <clears throat> Um, checking in with our emotions and our energy and making sure that those are vibrating high so that then we can attract the kind of partner we want and our efforts will be effective. Right. And then the wisdom to know the difference and keep 
getting that balance, I think, in life where we, because there's a kind of a dichotomy in this, let's accept what I can't change and let's change the things I can. Well, how do we know the difference? With wisdom. Right. And, <laughs> and I've been told that wisdom is a, a combination of emotion and logic. Mm. So that's something to keep in mind, too, is that when we're really needing to, to determine the difference, um, think with your mind and feel with your emotions and determine um, that that difference with your with your wise mind and heart together. Right. I think it's it's important. Speaking of that wisdom we're not suggesting that you do thought work to talk yourself into something that's abusive or something like that. You know, no, if there's genuinely red flags and you know, this is not a good relationship for you. Don't, don't do that. Right. I mean, if you saw your partner emotionally completely lose control of themselves, screaming at their children or their parents or somebody else for that matter, okay, you, you can look at that and say, hmm, that this relationship may not be the right one for me. Uh, the, the thing you want to avoid doing that with is when there's some little tiny thing that happens that's not really that significant, but maybe it triggers something because of, pa of a past relationship you've been in, and, that, that, and so you blow it out of proportion. Um, John Brailsford said when we... Uh, were interviewed by him and a couple of other people on the um, the Flameless Fireside Flameless podcast. Fireside podcast. That's right. He he talked about how sometimes he'd be dating someone or whatever, and they would say, "Oh, you're so angry," and he'd say, "I really don't think I'm that angry right now." <laughs> He's you such know? a jovial guy. Too. I mean, and, I I don't know him that well, but <laughs> um, that was interesting, huh? And he, he says, you know, that became a red flag to me if they're overreacting to everything I'm doing. And and there is a tendency, if you've been in relationships before and been hurt, to be a little bit overly sensitive to things that aren't really dangerous. And, and that's where you need to put your thoughts on trial. Like Kathy said, mm -hmm. that's the wisdom to know the difference. Well, and, you know, we generally advise not to just look for the opposite of a former partner um, that hurt you. Right. Um, because we actually did that and it it's never enough to just look for the opposite uh, of the worst quality of a former partner because there's so much more to making a marriage work than right. just having the opposite right um, that one opposite factor right um, so anyway but we have a we have a great uh, pairing up section in our book at the end of our of our, of our three parts an intentional courtship where you can get really intentional about what you're looking for and um, and get wise with your list because we cannot change the fact that each of us, if we want to to have a partner or a companion, is we're going to be with an imperfect person. Right. <laughs> that That is something we have to accept, right? Um, and then we can have courage to change or to find the, the best possible match for ourselves. Um, what can we put up with what, or and not only put up with, but who can we love through their own idiosyncrasies, right? Because the thing <laughs> you have to accept that you may not change is your partner. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> right. Only he or she can do that. <laughs> right. Um, and even when we change, we don't change fundamentally who we are, you know, our but we can grow our character and we can, you know, shift to um, higher levels of, you know, working personality, right? right? You can function at a higher level. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, the wisdom to know the difference. So I, I love this discussion. I think the serenity prayer is great for mid-single life. I think it's great for marriage. I think it's great for a lot of things. Right. Um, and, and as we mentioned, it's even used in addiction recovery. Um, so let's, let's uh, read the prayer one more time. And, um, and we'll, we'll uh, let wrap, you go. Yeah, we'll wrap this up. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. By following this spiritual pathway, we will find hope, we will find peace, and we will experience joy again. And with that, we want you to remember any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.